Once again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. So glad you're here with us today worshiping the Lord. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah, and happy to dive into God's Word with you this morning. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. We're going to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we have now graduated out of the first chapter of Acts. We are well on our way uh, now into chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's some hardback black ones somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and use that to follow along as well. So when we started this new series in Acts, um, I told you that a, uh, you know, the, the, the full name of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. I told you some theologians have said that maybe a better name for that book would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is, well, seems to be the main player, the main actor throughout the book of Acts. He's the one that keeps showing up over and over. In fact, I challenged you. Anybody remember what I said? I challenged you to do something as we study through the book of Acts. What are you supposed to do? Circle or underline every time you see the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And just notice how often he is there and he's present and he's working. And so, um, so we've already seen him show up a couple times in this first chapter. But now in the second chapter, we're getting ready to step into a whole new era of the Holy Spirit. And the way that he relates to God's people and the church and what we're experiencing today. And so we're starting a new sub-series today in our greater series in the book of Acts, simply called The Power of the Spirit. And for the next several weeks, we're going to look at the Spirit and all that He is and all that He does here uh, for the early church in the book of Acts. And so, um, so even if you've grown up in the church, I know some of you have, some of you haven't, that's totally fine either way. But if you've grown up in the church, um, your understanding of and your familiarity with the Spirit, even though you've grown up in the church, may still be minimal depending on your faith background. I know that's what's true for me. Some of us grew up in churches that really didn't talk much about the Spirit, right? Like, you know, we, we kind of acted like the Trinity was more like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures, rather than God the Holy Spirit, right? Like, that was kind of the way we functioned in the churches that I grew up in, and we didn't really talk a whole lot about the Spirit. Maybe you grew up in a church where they, they would talk about the Spirit, but it was always kind of like in hushed tones, and like, like, you, didn't, like you were kind of scared of Him. Um, some of us are probably still a little bit scared of Him, um, maybe not even a bad thing there. Um, some of you grew up in churches where it was all about the Spirit, man. You talked about the Spirit a lot, but it seems like a lot of the teaching on the Spirit was more about your personal interaction with the Spirit rather than who he was and what he wanted to do in your life. And so I think for all of us, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, I think if we'll push in for the next couple of weeks here and we'll let the Holy Spirit and the Lord speak to us, he's going to teach us some things about who he really is and how he really wants to function in our lives and in our church. And so I'm really excited about this as we step into this. So here's kind of the main thought as we press into this today and we look at how he's going to, to show us a more glorious picture of who God is and the mission he has for us through the Spirit. The people of God are filled with the Spirit of God, and this last part is so important, for the glory of God. The people of God are filled with the Spirit of God. We are, if you are a Christian, one of the marks that you are a follower of Christ is that you have been filled with the Spirit. Everybody gets that the moment you put your faith in Christ. But sometimes we need to step back and realize that the reason the people of God are filled with the Spirit of God is not just for us, but for the glory of God on the earth and in our lives and in his church. And so I'm going to show you that here today, starting off from the text. So chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to do it a little bit different today. Instead of kind of reading it in chunks and explaining as I go, I'm just going to read this whole section. I want you to get kind of the whole story in context here, and then we'll go back and we'll pick it up in pieces, okay? So starting in verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, the sound, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, oh, they're just filled with new wine. Um, so they're just drunk. That's what that last part is, in case you were wondering. Um, so this is kind of the introduction of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. And the first thing I want you to see from this text is simply this. The Spirit is powerful, but not safe. The Spirit is powerful, but not safe, at least not the way that we think about it. So the first thing I want you to see in verse 1, it says that they were all together. So if you remember last week, we left them off. They had, Jesus told them to wait. So they all gathered together in the room, and they were praying, and they were waiting. We pick it up. They're still there. They're still praying, and they're still waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes what the Bible says is a mighty rushing wind. Now, I always kind of have to laugh sometimes when people try to take the Bible and put it into, like, pictures. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of this scene, like, in a Bible book or in, like, a children's book or maybe in a movie or video. They always display this mighty rushing wind, like this, like, little spring breeze that comes through and pops the window open and just kind of floats through the room and then goes out the other side. Like, that's not what I read here, Right? Is that what you think of when you hear mighty rushing wind? Like, we're in the Midwest. We know what mighty rushing wind is, right? We just saw that Friday. We call that a tornado around here, all right? Like, like go to the basement, like, shut the windows and the doors, lay down in the bathtub, like, or go stay on the front porch like most of us do and watch. But whatever the thing, like, we know what a mighty rushing wind is. That's what he says is coming on them here. And notice, it's not outside the house. It's not around the house. It's not over the house. It's where? It's in the house. (laughs) Like, they're all 120 people sitting around, praying, waiting, and all of a sudden, a tornado-like wind starts ripping around the room that you're sitting in. Does that feel very safe to you? The Holy Spirit is powerful, but it's not always safe. It says that as this, right after this happens, it says they were all, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This awesome display of God's power through the mighty rushing wind was just a symbol of the awesomeness of God's power that was coming to live inside of them as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That was just his like, hey, I'm here, and now, boom, Holy Spirit's coming inside of you. And because they were now filled with the power 
of the Holy Spirit, it says they started to speak in other tongues, or what will later be called other languages. So four times in these verses, it refers to this speaking in tongues or languages, which is describing uh, a, a discernible speech to other humans. In other words, as they started speaking in these other languages or tongues, people who natively spoke those languages and tongues could understand them, right? It was discernible to them. Luke is going to use this word tongues throughout the book of Acts in the same way. The people are speaking in languages that are discernible as far as we can tell. This is different than when Paul talks about the gift of tongues in the book of Corinthians, In that instance, it's a heavenly language where someone is speaking to God, and it's only discernible through an interpreter, okay? Both are valid gifts that the Bible talks about. They're just two different things. So let's just not get them confused here, okay? So they're speaking in languages that people can understand. And if you think about it, this would not necessarily have been that abnormal in that day. Like, it wasn't abnormal for someone to be bilingual, back then, right? People did speak different languages. That wouldn't have been a big deal, just like it wouldn't be necessarily a big deal today. But notice what it says. It says, we hear them in our own language, but all these people are Galileans. And for us, we're like, okay, what's, uh, I don't know what that means. Well, Galilee was this region of Judea, kind of outside Jerusalem, and everybody thought of them as kind of like, oh, the Galileans, right? Like, they were like the backwoods country folk uneducated, couldn't talk right, you know, like, I could name some states, but I, I won't go there, okay, like, but I'm just saying, like, they were the ones, that everybody was like, yeah, we, uh, and, and they had a really strong accent, and so you always knew they were Galileans, so people knew who they were, and yet, all of a sudden, these uneducated Galileans with these strong accents were speaking perfect, fluent languages other than their own. That was the miracle. Now listen, learning languages is hard. I don't know if you ever tried to learn another language. I tried to learn Spanish in high school. I took two and a half years. At this point, I've got hola and baño. That was like, that's like the extent of my two and a half years of Spanish. All the good grades were because my test reflected more of what Christy knew than what I knew. You get what I'm saying? Christy sat next to me. Okay. So that, that's pretty much how Spanish happened for me. So Learning languages is super hard, but right here, all of a sudden, these people just have it perfectly. Like, I get this picture of like, remember Neo in the Matrix? I might be dating myself now. Anybody remember the Matrix, right? Like all of a sudden, they, they plug him up, and he's like, I know Kung Fu. Like he's just like, like, they're like, I know Parthenian. Like they just start, like it just comes out of nowhere, and they have this gift, this ability that the power of the Holy Spirit has put in them where they start speaking in other languages. And because it was such a mind-blowing thing, it says here that the people were bewildered and amazed and astonished and perplexed. Like all these words, Luke's trying to tell us, like in their minds, the other people are like, this isn't possible. Like this doesn't happen. And they're right. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so the power of God steps in, and they start talking. And clearly, everyone recognized that this was a power beyond human work. That's why they're so freaked out by it. The power of God perplexes people. Have you ever noticed this? Like when God shows up and does something miraculous, when God shows up and does something powerful, people don't know how to respond. 
And a lot of times they kind of get scared because you experience this, this power that's so much bigger than you that it kind of dwarfs you and you're kind of freaked out by it. It doesn't always feel super safe. And a lot of times we know that humans, when we don't feel safe and we don't understand what's going on and we can't put it in a box, we get upset by that and we start to push back on it, don't we? And we start to maybe say things or do things to protect ourselves from this unknown thing. And it can get kind of ugly. Sometimes when the power of God's moving in your life, people are going to respond to you in a way that's not safe and hurtful and maybe even ugly because they don't understand what's going on there and they're scared of it. Because the Holy Spirit's powerful, but he's not always safe. I think we have an obsession with safety in our culture today. Um, I've just been thinking more and more about this. Do you, do you know what the, some of you I know have been out of like the little kid parenting thing for a while. Do you know what the current, the current law in Missouri is on children and booster seats? You have to have your child in a booster seat until they are 80 pounds or four foot nine inches. That's a big kid. Like, like at that size, when we were kids, like we were like laying in the back window of the car, hoping mom would slam on the brakes and throw us into the floorboard. You remember that? Like, like that was fun back then. There were no booster seats. Like, what is this? And like the, the, the constant obsession with hand sanitizer. Is anybody else getting this? Like every time they come in, wash your hands, sanitize your hands. Like they can't touch anything. Like this is like a thing. And everybody's like, we use hand sanitizer in the kids, man. Don't grab your kids from our, our church. Okay, like it's okay. I'm just like, I have pictures of me sitting in a mud puddle with mud pies in my mouth. My parents weren't like, go wash your hands. They were like, go grab the camera and let's take a picture, right? Like this is, this is how we functioned. How many of you, when you got home from school, your parents were like, all right, go outside and play, and I'd rather not see you till it's dark. Anybody else get that? Like, like we're, all right, listen, our parents weren't bad parents. They just weren't controlled by a fear of safety. Sometimes we allow this overwhelming need to always be safe, always be secure, just take over our lives. And I'm not just talking about with kids. I'm talking about with adults as well. We're always worried about what we eat and this and that and the other. This might lead to cancer or this might lead to this disease or this like, and I'm not saying something that's not legitimate. I'm just saying like, we're always so worried and fearful. We're worried about our paychecks and our retirement accounts. Like what if there might come a day where I have to give up something that I'm happy. And what if I have to live with less at some point? That would be the most horrible thing. I'm, my, my lifestyle has to be safe and secure. Or we have to put our kids in a million different activities because we don't want them to have this chance where they might grow up and not have whatever skill they missed out at when they weren't playing baseball at two years old. And so now they're behind and their life's going to somehow be t- torpedoed and they won't have the safety and security they need to survive as adults. This is what the culture feeds us, right? Where we vacation, where we play, where we work, where we live, it's all built around, will we be safe? Will we be secure? Just by the pure virtue that we live in the country we live in, do you understand 
that we are more safe and secure than probably 90% of the rest of the world? And why do you think God has given us that? Why do you think God has given us and blessed us with so much power and ability to make money and innovate and protect and accumulate and educate ourselves and build all these things? Why did he give us that? Was it just to make our lives better and to make us have this nice little safe, secure little bubble we can live in? Or did he give it to us? Did he empower us so that we can actually go out and use that for his glory in ways that are greater than just what my life looks like? Listen, it's true that God loves and blesses his children. He does. He's a good father. We just sang that. But he doesn't bless you just for you. He blesses you for his glory. If he's empowered you to be good at business, then build a business that's for his glory and not your own. If he's empowered you to have a safe home, then invite other people in who don't have safe homes. If he's empowered you to have wealth and, and, and money, then be generous and give to the glory of God. If he's empowered you to be intelligent, then teach and help people grow to know Christ. Don't just use it for you. Too often Christians get caught trying to leverage the Holy Spirit's power merely for their own benefit rather than for God's glory. And that's a really dangerous place to be. The purpose of the Spirit's power is not to protect my safety, but to display God's glory. I think we need to correct that in our hearts. The power of the Spirit in my life and Him working is not just for me, it's not just for my thing, it's for God's thing, it's for His glory. And we need to get with Him on that. So the first thing is the Spirit's powerful, but not safe. The second thing I want you to see about the Spirit is this. The Spirit is personal, but not private. Personal, but not private. So in verse 3, so you have, they're all there praying, the wind comes through, and then the next thing that happens is that it says that fire comes, and there were divided tongues of fire. That's verse 3. Now, when you go into the Old Testament and you study the Old Testament, you'll see that when God shows up to meet with somebody or talk with somebody or whatever, he often uses fire to symbolize his presence. Like think about like the burning bush, right? When he's talking to Moses or the pillar of fire when he's leading the people through the wilderness or uh, Mount Sinai when he comes down to talk to Moses and give him the 10 commandments, fire came down on the mountain. When they were dedicating the temple, the, the sign that God's presence had come and filled the temple was fire came down from heaven into the Holy of Holies in the temple. This was, this was a thing. Fire is a symbol of God's presence, but in the Old Testament, the presence of God, the fire of God, always came to a place. One place at one time, that's where God was. But notice what happens here in the New Testament. When the fire comes, it doesn't come to a place. It comes and it divides and it goes to each individual person. Because the Spirit of God no longer rests in a place. The Holy Spirit of God now rests in each individual person, in each one of us, because he is a personal spirit. And it says that he rested on them. In other words, once the Holy Spirit comes into you at the moment of salvation, he remains with you. He stays with you. He goes with you wherever you go. 
which completely changes the mission and changes the gospel. You see, for the Jews, it used to be, hey, we've got this awesome God, come and see him. Come to the temple, come to Jerusalem, come see our God. We don't have to say come and see anymore because now God lives in you. So now the mission isn't come and see, the mission is go and tell, right? This is what Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Take the spirit that you now have living inside of you and go to others so they can hear the gospel. They each received the spirit personally, but not so they could keep it to themselves privately. It was supposed to empower them to go out with it. So again, in verse four, it says they were filled with the spirit. And when it says that, what it's talking about is that each individual person was filled with the spirit, right? Not just the leaders, not just the group collectively. You don't just have the spirit when you're here on Sundays and we're all together. I know sometimes when we're singing, you're like, man, I feel the spirit. He's always there, right? You just need to do more of that during the week. You have the spirit with you all the time. Every believer does. Now, here when it says that they were filled with the Spirit, I just want to kind of do a little theology thing here for a second. In this instant where it says filled with the Spirit, what it means is this was the initial reception of the Holy Spirit, okay? In Acts, and a couple other chapters, this same instance where the Holy Spirit first comes and fills the believer can also be called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It can be called the pouring out of the Holy Spirit or the reception of the Holy Spirit. All those are kind of synonymous terms for this initial gift where the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, okay? It's a one-time permanent seal that comes on the heart and the life of the believer. That's the way Paul talks about it in Ephesians. Once you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can never lose him. He never leaves you. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, this is what he's talking about. He is always with you. However, the New Testament also talks about in later parts that there, uh, he, the, some of Paul's letter tells us to be filled with the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, like this continuous action that happens. Because although there's an initial filling at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are also multiple fillings that can happen throughout our lives. That's not him leaving and coming back. That's him giving you kind of an extra dose, an extra shot in the arm of his power, usually for a particular season of your life or a particular task that he has you on for his mission, okay? And so a lot of times the the language language we'll use to to explain this is that there's one baptism of the Holy Spirit at salvation, and then there are multiple fillings of the Spirit throughout your life as God gives you that extra power to do something for him in his kingdom. But that's the important part. That's what I want you to notice as we walk through the book of Acts. Every filling of the Spirit whether it's the initial filling or the multiple fillings, all the fillings are for the purpose of glorifying God and fulfilling his mission. God never fills me with the Spirit just to glorify me or fulfill my agenda or make me feel better about my spiritual experience. That's not his purpose. His purpose is to call us deeper into his glory and into his mission. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. And so here they were filled with that initial Holy Spirit, and then they start going out and speaking these languages. And notice in verse 5, it says that there were Jews from every nation. That's kind of a strange statement. What he's describing there is what we call the diaspora. So over the years, the Jews had started in Judea, right? But over the years, through wars and through conquerings and all that kind of stuff, they'd gotten spread out all across the world. So there were Jews in all these different nations all over the place. They were still Jews. They still worshiped Yahweh. 
They just didn't live in Judea or Jerusalem anymore. And so a couple times a year, they would travel back to Jerusalem because, again, that's where the temple was, and that's where God's presence was because they didn't have the presence in them yet. So they would go back to the temple to worship God on these special kind of days. All right? So this is one of those experiences where they're all there from all these different countries to worship Yahweh. But because they were from different countries, they had different customs, different experiences, different, different backgrounds, and especially different languages that they spoke. And so here, it says that as they spoke the gospel through the power of the Spirit, that each one heard in his own language. I think this is a beautiful picture of how God personalizes the message of the gospel for each individual person. Have you ever noticed that when people, when you hear like people share their testimonies, how they're all so different and unique and they all have these, these like special nuances because God is reaching out and speaking to them in a personal way. He sees their soul as a person who needs care and individual attention, not just this mass of lost people that has to get the gospel and they all have to get in line with what we're doing. He comes and he speaks to them. This is the true heart of God, that everyone would be included in the gospel. And so he goes and he comes to each one of these people in their own language. I think as the church and as Christians, we need to get aware that unbelievers are not this homogeneous group that we can just preach the gospel to and they're going to automatically get saved. Each person that you, know, that you know in your life that's lost is an individual soul that needs individual care. And our job is to take the gospel that God has poured into us and then to go out and personalize that in such a way that we can deliver that in a personal way to that individual so they can hear the truth of Jesus and receive that. Right. Now, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying change the message. The gospel is the gospel. But we can deliver that message in lots of different ways that touch people in personal, specific, individual this is God's doing here in the individual languages. And so it says they heard it in their own language. And if they're hearing, that implies that somebody is doing what? Speaking, right? Like this is an important thing. In Romans 10, 14, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Our faith must be personal, but it cannot be private. Our job, our calling, is through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have to go public with our faith. We have to speak it so others can hear it and then believe in Jesus Christ. This is the way that God has ordained, and this is what we must step into. Let me give you an example from my life. So right after college, I, um, we weren't married yet, and so I was still single, and so I moved in with a friend from college who was a, a, a college friend who had bought his own house and needed some roommates to kind of help cover everything. So we move in, I move in with this guy, and then we had a third roommate, and his name was John. And, and everybody loved John, right? Like John was just one of those personable, funny, generous guys. He, he loved people. He just, everybody liked being around John. But he was lost. He didn't know Jesus, he didn't go to church, really didn't desire to do any of those things. But over several weeks or months, Courtney and I built a relationship with John, a pretty good relationship. And we would kind of joke around and, and he, would, he would always kind of tease us about our, our faithfulness to church or our faithfulness to Christian 
ideas or whatever. And um, and we just kind of it was, it was just just a fun little relationship kind of thing. And so every once in a while, or one night we came home from a church gathering where we we've been helping like with the youth group and leading youth in a way. So we come in and we walk in and John's like, hey, how are my little Christian soldiers tonight? You know, just kind of poking fun. And we were like, oh, it actually went really well. And we started telling him about how God had, was moving in some of the lives of the youth and how they were starting to, to follow Christ more closely. And, and so that kind of just led to a whole discussion about the gospel. And we started talking about sin and heaven and hell and that if you don't believe that you, this is what's going to happen and you need to put your faith in Jesus and this whole thing. And he's asking some questions and we're kind of going back and forth. And he seemed, you know, at least somewhat interested. And so about, I don't know, a little, little ways into the conversation, I'll never forget this. this. His question struck me so hard and cut so deep in my heart. I'll never forget this. He kind of pauses and he looks at me and he says, we've, we've, known each other now. We've been friends for like six months or something, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, if you really believe, if this is what you really believe, that I'm going to hell if I don't believe in Jesus, why are you just now telling me this? Uh, (laughs) I didn't have an answer. Not really. Well, you know, it, it, uh, we were just building a relationship. It takes a while sometimes to get this. I didn't want you to be turned off by whatever. Blah, 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 blah. And he was like, really? You think so little of our friendship that you thought I would cast you off if you told me what you believed? Like you really thought that was going to be what, this, what happened here? I don't. And he was 100% right. Now, to my knowledge, John still has not received the gospel. He didn't get saved. This isn't like one of those nice bow on the end of the story. And John accepted Jesus. Now it's all great. No, I have no idea. Last time I talked to John, he was just as lost as I ever knew. But he taught me something that night. That I was scared. I was scared to speak and share the gospel. His response, his friendship, what I don't, whatever it was. And, and John challenged me that night that, this is what we're called to do. Jesus doesn't save you and the spirit doesn't fill you so you can simply have a better spiritual life. Jesus saves us and fills us so that we will glorify God by being a public witness of his gospel. You have people in your life who are lost and headed to a real place called hell. And if you don't tell them the truth, who's going to do it? Some of you have. You've told them the truth multiple times. And if you've done that, then it's not on you anymore. Now it's the Holy Spirit's job to work in their heart. Don't feel like you have to carry the weight of their salvation. You don't have to do that. You do carry the weight of being faithful to say it. And we need to step into that. The Spirit fills me personally so I can glorify God publicly, not just gratify myself privately. He fills you not just for your own spiritual building up or gratification or spiritual life. He fills you so that you can be public with that same faith and others can come to know Jesus as well. The Spirit is powerful but not safe. Spirit is personal, but not private. And thirdly, the spirit is purposeful, but not predictable. Purposeful, not predictable. Verse 1, 
Luke gives us the setting of this whole scene. He says it was at Pentecost. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us today because we're not Jewish, but Pentecost was the annual Jewish harvest festival. All right? This is when everybody came back together and they had this huge party to celebrate the new harvest for the year. All right? Um, like, in like actual harvest, not like harvest, like we're talking about like harvest of souls, like we use it in our church, but like they were actually farmers, grain, harvest. You with me, okay? So like they're having this giant party, and it was one of the three pilgrimage feasts of the year. And so three times a year, everybody was supposed to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate these three different things. So this is one of those. So everybody's coming from all these different nations in Jerusalem. So picture this. Everybody's in Jerusalem for this giant harvest party. So like right in the middle, I love this, right in the middle of like Jewish Mardi Gras, the spirit breaks through and just starts saving people. Right? And we're going to see it in the next part of this chapter. Like they start spreading the gospel and people just start coming to Jesus in droves because God is purposeful in how he does this. He waited for this moment for the spirit to come and to give the languages so they could go out and speak the gospel to all these people so they would get saved. And then guess what? They're going to go back to their home countries. And what are they taking with them? The gospel of Jesus Christ, instant missionaries because of the day of Pentecost. And it says the Spirit gave them utterance in verse 4. He was equipping them for the mission, for this exact moment. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had it all planned out. It was all on purpose. But notice here, the Spirit did the equipping. The Spirit did it, not them. This is so important for us as a church. They didn't earn it. They didn't plan it. They didn't train it. They didn't manufacture it. The Spirit did this. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again for the people in the back. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. How often do we try? We start to believe, I think, sometimes in church or in our own spiritual lives that we can orchestrate or manipulate or control the work of the Spirit if we these songs and if we just say this prayer and if we just read these scriptures and if we just go through this process, the Holy Spirit has to come and show up. You don't control the Spirit. I don't control the Spirit. He is God. He does it His way, His time, and we're just along for the ride. I want you to notice here also the emphasis that when the Spirit shows up, the emphasis is on the languages, not the wind and the fire. Luke mentions the wind and the fire because he's a good historian. But then he spends the rest of the chapter talking about the languages. Why do you think that is? Because let's just be honest. The fire and the wind was much cooler. Right? Like, like that was much more like supernatural, like cool, you know, God thing. Then everybody, can, you know, people can speak other languages. But he focused us, he didn't focus on the wind and the fire because that would have just built up the glory of man. Right? Like, look how cool it was. We had this experience and you didn't have it. We had it. And like, you, can you hear the conversations? The emphasis was on the languages because the languages is what took the gospel beyond the 120. It's what took the experience of the Spirit beyond the room and took it out to the people. It was the languages that brought the most glory to God rather than glory to man. So that's where we see the emphasis placed. 
Spirit is always about making much of God's glory, not mine. How do you know if, the, if it's really the Spirit working in your life? When you're having that conversation with that person, when you're in prayer, when you're trying to make that big decision for your family, when you're doing something at church and you're doing something small, how do you know if it's really the Spirit showing up? This is how you know. This is the litmus test. Is the experience, is the thing, is it making more about you and your needs and your stuff and your glory, or is it making much of God's glory? That's when the Spirit's moving. When I try to flip that and make it about me, man, things go really bad. So they go out and they start speaking in these languages, and it says in verse 11, that they were telling the mighty works of God. That's the mission. Our job is to proclaim the God's glory through the gospel. I've said that word gospel a lot today. What do I even mean when I say that? That word gets overused sometimes. What does that mean when I say that they were speaking the gospel? Here's the gospel, plain and simple. Every single human, every person in here, myself included, have sinful, broken hearts that cause us to do sinful, broken things. And we've tried to fix it with everything we can come up with, with food and money and sex and performance and success and business. We've tried everything and nothing fixes it. And God knows we can't fix it. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to come and to live a perfect, sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death, to be a substitute for you and me, to take our sin, our guilt, our punishment upon himself. And he died and he went into the grave, and three days later he rose back to life to conquer sin and death and to offer us forgiveness for our sins, to offer us a new heart that's not broken, that can love God the way that we're supposed to and can follow him the way that he wants us to. That's the gospel. That's what they're proclaiming to these people. The mighty works that God can save you from what you are. Notice it's not just the apostles sharing the gospel. It was all of them, all 120. The ordinary Galileans were out testifying to the mighty works of God. God has a purpose for his church, for every single person in his church, and that is to proclaim the mighty works of God. All of us, not just the pastors, not just the leaders, not just your small group leaders, not all of us. That makes some people in the church really nervous. (laughs) He's like, Michael, what what if they mess it up? Right? Like, what, what, if, what if these people go out and they start telling the story wrong and they get the gospel and they give the details wrong and people start thinking they're saved and they're not saved? Or what if they tell the gospel to them and it's right, but then they fall back into sin and it taints the whole thing? Or what if, you know, they start engaging with ministry outside the church and we can't control it? And that sounds about right. <laughs> That's exactly how God works in ways that are unpredictable and uncontrollable and outside of us and in ways that oftentimes are using broken vessels. Because when he does it that way, we can't claim any glory from it. And he gets all the glory for it. 
God loves to work in ways that we don't understand and can't see and can't control. Because then it points us back to him. Let's just be honest. Even after Jesus saves us, we're all still so messed up, it's a miracle anybody else comes to Jesus, right? Like, like it's not us. It's God working through us. It's his glory. It's his power. So they're out there, they're speaking the gospel. People are hearing the mighty works of God. They don't know what to do. They're like, how is this all happening? And then the final statement in verse 13 is, oh, they're just filled with new wine, right? They're just drunk and talking gibberish. That's basically what they thought. This is what happens. This is man's excuse for God's power. Every time God shows up in power, some people are not gonna get it. They're not gonna see it. And they're gonna try to come up with some other story to explain what's happening. But these people were not drunk. They were high, but they weren't drunk. They were high on the spirit. And it was moving in them and through them. But notice, it wasn't like anyone expected. No one saw this coming. No one thought this is how God's going to do it. Because God doesn't always look and work the way we think he should. He's often unpredictable. And when they are unpredictable and outside of our control and outside of our ability to manage it, that's when we know man, God's getting ready to do something really cool. If we're going to be used mightily by God, we have to be okay with this. We can't worry about what other people think. We can't worry about what it's going to look like or how it's all going to play out. Like sometimes we just have to be okay with God doing some crazy, powerful, unpredictable things in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our work, like whatever it looks like. I read this book by J.D. Greer, and he had this great quote in there, and he said this. Acts, the book of Acts, shows Christianity as an outbreak that cannot be contained, rather than a message that must be marketed and manipulated in order to grow. That's so good. That's so good for the American church today. The gospel isn't something that I have to program and market and figure out how to sell to you. The gospel and Christianity is something that the power of the Spirit breaks loose in your life, and you can't control it, and it does things you never expected, but it's always glorious to God. Does that statement scare you? (laughs) Can we just be honest for a second? Can we be honest in church today? Does that statement scare you a little bit? Are you worried what will happen to your family or your career or your bank account or your church or your, if you let the spirit break loose in your life? Are you only comfortable with the Holy Spirit that makes you feel better about your life rather than makes your life a little messier? Oftentimes, I think we, we only, we really love things most when we can control them we can make them serve our purposes. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. That's not how God works. That's not his mission. That's not the Christian faith. If your view of following Christ is the Spirit is always going to make your life better and easier and safer and more secure, you have missed the faith of Jesus Christ. Someone has sold you a bill of goods because that's not what he calls us to. This faith, this movement, This life as a believer is about glorifying God no matter what the cost. No matter what he asks us for. No matter what he forces us to lay down. That is why the Holy Spirit fills believers. 
is to lead us, to draw us, to lay down everything for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to work through me to glorify God, not for me to glorify me. I plead that the Lord would correct that, just that in our hearts, in my heart. That the Holy Spirit isn't just here to make me awesome. It's not just to glorify me, it's to glorify him in my life. I start off with this statement. The people of God are filled with the spirit of God for the glory of God. Every single piece of that is so important. If we're going to be the people of God, we have to be filled with the spirit of God, which happens at salvation. But we have to step into that. We have to walk in that for the glory of God. Not for the glory of us, not for the glory of Harvest, not for the glory of St. Louis, not for the glory of your small group, for the glory of God. That preaches easy, but that lives hard, doesn't it? Right? Like we could put that on some t-shirts and some coffee mugs and we would make a fortune, right? Like, but when we actually have to step into that, Being truly filled with the Spirit of God means His glory will eclipse my glory. It means laying down my spirit to submit to the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do more of that in order to see God's kingdom flood your life and flood this earth and be a movement that cannot be contained that is outbreaking into the world? Are you willing to lay down your spirit, your glory, and let the spirit work and move in you in unpredictable, unsafe, and public ways? Let's stand and pray, and we're just going to respond to the Lord and let him work in our hearts right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. You are, you are beautiful and glorious to us. Lord, we gather here every week, Lord, to be in your presence, to worship you. Lord, but you want more than just our Sundays. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us, for saving us, for filling us with your spirit. Forgive us for the ways that we try to make your spirit our servant. For the ways that we try to make your power serve our lives and serve our agendas, Lord, we repent of that. Father, we desire more. More of you, more of your power, more of your mission in our lives every day. So right now, Lord, we lay it down. We surrender. We surrender to you. We surrender to your spirit in us. Lord, please, we are pleading with you, break through. Do a new thing in our lives. Do a new thing in our church. Lord, use us for your glory. Pray this in your son's name.